Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The thing about the status game is that, is, is that we're, we're obsessively interested in our rank. And when our rank is begins to feel like being, it's being unfairly deprived or unfairly sort of taken from other people, we tell this unbelievably toxic story about who we decide are our enemies, um, and, and that's where true human irrationality, you know, lies, and that's where we become most dangerous. They say never meet your heroes, but I feel very lucky to be able to present this episode of the On the Edge with Andrew Gold podcast with a literary champion of mine in the form of Will Store. Will has been gaining a reputation as one of the foremost non-fiction writers in the UK over the past few years, starting with his exploration of people with extreme beliefs in his book Heretics. His phenomenal follow-up, Selfie, about how the West became so self-obsessed and individualistic, put him in the big leagues of journalistic writers. He then wrote The Science of Storytelling, which is supposed to be brilliant but I've not had the chance to read yet, and today we're here to talk about his latest book, The Status Game. Since he's one of my favourite writers, I was looking forward to reading it for ages. One of the perks of this job is that I get to review copies of my guests' books, Anyway, it was absolutely brilliant, and I find myself quoting it, probably totally wrongly, to everyone. The status game is about how we seek status and how the pursuit thereof drives pretty much everything we do. Today, we talk about the many different kinds of status game that we invent and play with one another, including dominance, success, and virtue. We've talked a lot about virtue signaling on this podcast, so it's no surprise that it's a key part of gaining status in all of our tribes. It's a fascinating read that draws parallels with Harari's Sapiens in its ambition and span while looking into what makes us human and what makes us do stuff. Get the status game in all the normal places. There's a link in the show notes along with Will Store's Twitter. And if you enjoy this episode and want to hear the 30-minute bonus part and you want to support the podcast as well, then sign up for less than the price of a coffee per month on patreon.com slash andrewgold or on Apple subscriptions. It's a really great in-depth bonus part this week from Will, who gives fantastic, fascinating answers to the big 10 questions from inside the actor's studio. In the coming weeks, we'll hear from Sean Atwood about his life as the boss of an ecstasy-smuggling mafia and the former Love Island contestant with a huge brain, Chris Williamson, now a popular podcaster. Then there's Dr. Soham Das talking about mental illness and true crime, and Dr. Catherine Page Harden talking about the controversial study of genetics and eugenics. But now, it's the wonderful Will Storr. 
thanks for coming on. I've been a fan of yours for years. My um, literary <laughs> agent, he showed me your books as like a, if you, you want to write books, these are the books you, you should try and write. <laughs> not if you want to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not if you want to make, well, John Ronson must be, you know, making a, a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. He's a genius. So. Oh, come on. You, you're in that level. I, honestly, I think, I think you're in. The, I enjoy both. You're both my favorite of that kind of writing. I, I, my go-to guys. And I, and I wanted to ask, actually, so, you know, yeah, what is your process when you sort of think, okay, I'm going to go for something new, a new book here. What's it going to be? Uh, that's a good question. That's a writer's question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need some tips. <laughs> um, what, what, what do I decide? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because... Um, I suppose it's it's when I come across a question that I kind of think is really interesting that I think has either been answered wrongly by other people or like I'm not satisfied with what I'm reading about that. Um, so with the Heretics, it was very you know the Heretics was written during that that period of um, the, the the atheists were all in fashion you know Richard Dawkins and all these types. And um and and the um the, the the general consensus the message from these people was generally that people who believed in homeopathy and religion were just stupid people and they were just stupid and I thought you know they're not stupid because you know um, my dad's really religious he 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 really believes in Catholic religion but he's not a stupid man you know so 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 it felt like this unanswered question and and yeah and then after that selfie that kind of led to the question of you know why why people change and, and then they'll start thinking about why. So I started interviewing lots of people who had been through huge changes. Um, and, and then I became, and then that led me onto this kind of self-esteem idea, which, which was really a culture changing. So, so, so yeah, it, it's kind of questions that I feel like I'm not satisfied with the answers that I'm seeing around me. So that led you on to the status game. Um, yeah. And so, so what were you noticing about, about status? The status game came about, uh, you know, it's always a kind of a, a variety of things, um, and uh, so so the, the answer that I that, that I you know that I tend to give about the status game um, is that um, when I was doing my interviews for Selfie, I met a guy called Bruce Hood, a very famous um, and uh, well uh, you know celebrated psychologist at the University of Bristol, and he said this thing to me, which was um, he said um, once we've got enough money to live on and look after our family. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Everything else is validation. And he said, why do we write books? Why do we buy, you know, do what we do? It's validation. And I remember thinking, as he said that, well, that's such a cynical thing. Yeah, it can't <laughs> be true. And then I thought about it for literally another 30 seconds, and I thought, God, yeah, yeah you know, that, that, is actually, there is actually, that is actually true. You know, it, it, it kind of freaked me out a bit. Um, but, but the other answer to that, like the, the, the actual writer's answer, which, which I'll give you, um, which kind of coincides with the others, is that, um, you know, when you're a writer, there's always people saying, oh, you've got to read this book, you've got to read this book. And it's always a really famous, successful book, and you just get a bit like, no, I'm not going to read it. You know, you get a bit resentful about it. And, and one of those books was Sapiens. I knew it. I was going to say Sapiens. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say, I bet he's Sapiens. Yeah. Because I teach storytelling. I teach the science of storytelling. And it was like, oh, you've got to read Sapiens. It's all about storytelling. So, and I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to read Sapiens. Uh, but then when I actually got a, um, this, I had to write a book about storytelling, I thought, I better read Sapiens <laughs> just to see yeah. what he's got to say. And, you know, it's a great book and he's an amazing writer. You, you don't get to sell, be that successful without being an amazing writer. But there was one thing I just didn't agree with. And, and so when people were saying, you've got to read this book, they were talking about a specific part of Sapiens. And that was the part where he says, 
you know, what is the car company Peugeot? It's just, it doesn't exist. It's just a bunch of people. It doesn't actually exist. It's a story. And I was thinking, you know, it's not actually a story. A story has a beginning and a middle and an end. You know, <laughs> Peugeot isn't a story. Um, and then, and, but so then I thought, well, what is it then? And, and, and actually, um, you know, because I've been doing lots of reading about evolutionary psychology, I just thought, well, it's a tribe. You know, Peugeot is uh, is a tribe in the same way that uh, that that, that um, any group of people is a tribe. Um, so, so that's what really began my thinking. You know, and how does that? And and then I started thinking, well, how how can I define that as a tribe, which is a collective of people with a who who are playing by these particular rules and symbols. Um, they've got a particular mission. Um, they've got an identity that comes out of being uh, being you know a, 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 an employee of Peugeot, um, and and then so that's why I started thinking about you know wh- why is it that. Um, uh, you see this kind of tribal pattern everywhere you look in human life. It's what we do. We join groups and uh, that have these missions, and that's so that, and, then, and then so that you know that, that that combined with the thinking about status. And I thought, well, it, you know, that these groups are, are status games. That's what they are. Um, you know, they're, they're games we play to make ourselves kind of feel important. Um, so, so, so that's what Peugeot is. That, that's what I thought. And I thought, well, I, you know, I think that's a better answer than it's a story. Peugeot isn't yeah. a story. It's a game. That makes a lot more sense, actually. And you've whittled down sort of, so so within each of these tribes, so say Peugeot might be a tribe or just a group of friends might be one tribe or, or a football fan supporter group. Um, you've whittled down to sort of three main um, uh, types of status games, which I think were dominance, success and virtue. Could you tell us about those three a bit? Yeah, so, so, so you know, again, our kind of brains did much of their evolution when we were members of these sort of mobile hunter-gatherer um, uh, groups, um, just to give some sort of context and in kind of how long of a time that was. It's around 100,000 generations we spent living like that, and we've been living in sort of settled towns and cities for about 500 generations. So, wow. so yeah, so, so it's an unimaginably long time, and we still have these tribal brains. And so, so that's why you see tribal you know life repeating itself over and over and over again you know we we join groups we play status games within them um but but those th- th- those kind of early kind of pre-modern groups that we um that that, that we b- belong to there were various ways that, in which you could earn status um the basic fundamental one is dominance so you know you know that that's basically violence or, or threat and you know animals typically um but not exclusively play dominance games you know chickens peck at each other until there's a pecking order established. Um, yeah, you know, that's how that works. Um, uh, but, but, but humans, um, be, you know, be, we, we became what we are because we, we, we sort of mastered the art of playing different kinds of games. And these, were, these are the games of prestige. So, 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 so earning status wasn't just about physical dominance. It was about um, getting a good reputation. And there are two ways, you know, and getting a good reputation in a, in a tribal group um, in order to do that, you had to prove yourself useful to the group. So if you were useful to everybody else, people would think, oh, that's a pretty good person. And there are two ways of doing that. One is with, you know, by, by virtuous behavior. So by being generous, sharing resources, looking after people, uh, defending the group, being courageous. So virtue. And then, but the other one is success. So, you know, being the best storyteller, the best honey finder, the best hunter, the best tuba picker, or you know, whatever it might be. There's all these different ways of measuring um, success. So, 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 
and so again, you know, what's amazing is that you still see this today. You know, we haven't changed. There are three main routes to status in human groups. Dominance, we still use dominance all the time. Um, uh, but then there's the two nicer kind of, you know, prestige routes, which is virtue and state and success. So, you know, the, the easiest way to understand it is that you can be Idi Amin, you can be Mother Teresa, or you can be um, Albert Einstein. You know, they're, they're all um, kind of high status individuals who've found their status by playing different kinds of games. Do those three different things, do they sort of change over time? I'm thinking about, I was just watching, I rewatched A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise yeah. the other day. <laughs> and he's, he's the hero of the film. And it's so funny to watch all of his films back then. He became this big guy and he, was, he had a similar personality in most of those films. He was horrible. He's just cocky, uh, you know, not nice. He's sexist. He's this, he's that. He, d- he doesn't. Uh, and I thought, isn't that weird? That's a leading man because now that, that wouldn't go. And I wondered if that was to do with maybe virtue becoming more important for status nowadays than it was in like 1990. And back then, maybe there was more, more uh, emphasis on sort of dominance and, and stuff like that. Do these things change around or is that in my mind? No, no, they're constantly changing. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the ways that we are measuring status is constantly changing. And, and you know, and, 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 you know, what you're, you know, you're obviously, um, the, 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 you know, the, the, the games that we're playing for status in the West have changed radically over the last 10, 15 years. Um, you know, our values have all had to shift, um, whether we like it or not. And, um, and uh, you know, that, that, so, so, yeah, it's constantly changing. And I think, you know, generationally it changes. It, it's extraordinary as, to me as a Gen Xer to hang out with my nieces who are Zoomers and you know they're so moralistic compared to <laughs> compared to me yeah, how I was. They don't drink. They don't take drugs. Um, uh, there was you know we, we, I was having a tragic uncle moment trying to connect with him over my um, over my over our shared love of Lana. We like Lana Del Rey, and right. you know they were they were having this very intense conversation about um, her. She did the cover version. Um, uh, of, of, a, of a song sung by a man, but she didn't change the pronouns, and that was really good of her. And I just thought, bloody hell, you know, it's so different. You know, uh, <laughs> when, when I was their age, I was taking drugs, I was drinking, I was having yeah. sex. You know, we were not moralistic people. And I don't know whether it's the first time it's ever happened, but it feels like, uh, you know, it's, it's radical because it's, it's the first generation that I can think of where the young kids are more moralistic than the than their parents you know yeah. so, so so yeah it's always changing and i'm sure partly it's generational there's always this there's always this this urge for you know when we're growing up when we had adolescence we we want to join our own status game we want to separate ourselves from our parents and so you see that in in, in pre-modern tribes um well not separating from the parents but but you know you go through these initiation ceremonies at that age you see in religions like judaism in in christianity confirmation bar mitzvah um so so, so and yeah and, and it's a natural thing it's a, and and you know a peer group is really important for young people and and part part of what they want to do is separate themselves from the games played by their parents because they're the adults now so there's always this i'm not saying that's the reason for that that's the only reason for for the change of thing i think it's part of it and i think and i think it's the reason why it, you know, the game will never stand still. We're always going to be um, uh, finding different ways of measuring status. And you saw about a few good men. I, 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 when I was doing my research for my storytelling book, I, I, I got a book from, that was published in the 1950s about character. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an American book, you know, and it was published by a major publishing company in the 50s. And, and it was a, part of its guide to, like, advice on, on what kind of stories to tell. It, it had things like, 
don't tell stories that say negative things about big business because people love big business and you'll put them off. Wow. And it was um, never tell a story that features a mixed race couple because people don't like mixed race couples. And you ah. just think, my God, you know, that is how far we've traveled since that 50s. So, 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 yeah, you know, this constant churn and, uh, you know, that, that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Yeah, I imagine we don't always I, we probably feel like we're always traveling in sort of the arrow of progression or an arrow of progress. And it must actually go up and down a little bit i mean do you think people will look back on us in 50 years and just be like my word some of the things that they thought were important compared to what is important now yeah totally and it does go up and down um, you, you know uh, in the book one of the things I, I you know i look i look at um you know when, when i was thinking about this I, you know one of the kind of challenges i set myself was that okay if you're going to argue that status is this fundamentally important thing that shapes all human behavior you're going to have to show how that manifests in some of the big historical events of our time so you know, so, so 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 what I wanted to do was look at things like the Industrial Revolution as a status game, and um, the rise of Nazism, and the, the communist experiment as a status game. You know, and, and it is all there. But of course, when you're looking at um, communism and um, Nazism, that 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 would have felt like progress to, to the people swept up in those games at the time. But of course, we can look back on that and go. That was not progress, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, so, so, so yeah, you know, you definitely can't just assume just because it's something that's happening that's different to what's just gone before that it's that it's progress in the sense that it's better. That can be very frustrating having arguments with those people who who sort of think like even though the, for the whole of history everything's changed all the time <laughs> that they now have the right answers, you know. There, there was totally. there was something. What was it that you said? Uh, we create all these narratives. By the way, when I look down a lot, I'm aware because I've looked, I've, looked, I've rewatched some videos, and it looks like I'm bored or not listening to someone. It's just I'm looking at my little notes. My notes. I, was, I was rewatching something today of of like somebody saying something really interesting, and I was like eh, looking at it. Um, but yeah, we 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 all create these narratives of how some people are, are below us and above us. And I felt even reading that, I noticed that. I was going like, yeah, those people who do that are idiots. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm the clever one who doesn't do that. So um, do, do you get skeptical when people say things, for example, that, you know, there's, a, there's a, a rise in talk about imposter syndrome and I'm not very good and all that. Do those people also perceive themselves as above others in, in some sort of status game? Well, you know, yeah, of course, you know, imposter syndrome is, you know, we, 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 I think most of us have felt imposter syndrome um, at, at one point or another. Um, but 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 and so yes, yeah, it's, it's perfectly um, possible to think, oh my god, you know, like I've had this sudden jump and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I think imposter syndrome comes from a place of feeling ill prepared. Um, but but the other thing about imposter syndrome um, is is that is that we we're very good at getting over that. And if we go into a, a particular situation in which we feel like we are imposters and we're kind of faking it until we make it. The moment people respond to us as, as if we are amazing and, and fantastic and we're really good at this, we're very good at accepting that and getting over our imposter syndrome and thinking, yeah, you know what, actually, I'm really good at this. I thought I wasn't, but actually I am. So, 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 so yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I would never deny the experience of imposter syndrome, but I would just point out that we're very good at um, getting over that if the social signals are, are right. You know, I think if we have imposter syndrome and the feedback we get is, oh, my God, you're a, you're a disaster, then 
yeah then, then sure yeah it's not even a syndrome it's just a it's just reality <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice humble brag though isn't it i mean i felt tempted to say sometimes when i've done something like oh god i don't know why anyone thinks it's good i really feel like it's not i can't do this and i'm rubbish at it because it not only will i then get the kudos for the thing i did but people will think what a modest great guy and i'll get some virtue points for that Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And that's why, you know, humble bragging usually kind of backfires. The, the, the one that makes me laugh is um, when people get like an like a Pulitzer Prize or whatever, major award, and they go, oh, I'm, I feel so humbled by this. And you think, how can you, what? I don't understand what that, what that means. What does it mean? You feel humble. It's so humbled. Why, why are you shutting off about it? You know, you know so yeah, but, but easy. I mean, but it's a really interesting phenomenon. Is it, and that's that we, we, we deny it. We, we, we do. Because, because, you know, the brain is a storyteller and this status pursuit is an overwhelmingly, you know, not completely, but it's, it's a mostly subconscious phenomenon. Um, we tell ourselves a, a, a great story that, that we do what we do because we, um, you, you know, we're motivated to change the world and, um, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and we don't like to admit to ourselves that kind of rank is really important to us. Um, you know, we use that as a way of putting other people down, which ironically is also status play. You know, we said, oh, these just, they just want, you know, they're just ambitious people um, yeah. as if we're not, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, you just made me think of like a lot of English actors and actresses, um, or everyone's an actor now, I guess. Um, I should ask your uh, niece and nephew, or was it nephews or, or nieces? <laughs> nieces, yeah. Nieces, I should ask your nieces if what the right word is. Um, but, but, Often British ones, when they win an Oscar, will, will do a whole thing about, oh, I'm just from a little, you know, nowhere, little <laughs> village, and I, I, this isn't me. How did this happen? And you're like, come yeah. on, you've been in Hollywood for years. You know what's going on. Yeah, and we're really hard. You've been dreaming about this moment since you were born. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And again, that's the cultural thing. You know, I, I think... Um, I, I, you know, it's definitely true universally that, that we have this tall poppy syndrome. We don't like people who, are, who feel like they're swaggering about above us with their status kind of on display. Um, so, so, so there's always this um, will to, oh, 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 I feel so, oh, imposter syndrome. Oh, I deserve, I deserve this. Um, but, but, it's, but it's, you know, it changes culturally. And, and you see, you know, most obviously in America, they have a culture which kind of pushes against that a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, one of, my, um, one, one of my guilty pleasures is, you know, reality reality cooking programs you know like um when i was living in australia i was addicted to australian master chef and um mm. uh, you know in british there's british master chef and then in america there's top chef and it, and and the, and the difference is amazing if you go on british master chef and 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 um they they say to the, the contestants how do you think you're going to do and they go oh oh i don't know I, the competition's really stiff I, you know I, i'm really nervous and if and then on top chef they're like i'm the king i'm the <laughs> boss you know i'm just you know i've been doing this for i've got these awards so, yeah. so there's a huge kind of cultural variation, and then of course, you know, the real extremes if you go to so, to go to East Asia, where, oh. where where that kind of that you know where that kind of you know bullyish self promotion is really you know really seriously looked down upon. I saw, uh, I heard Ricky Gervais talk about that because obviously he's lived a long time in America, and he says the main difference is like if you're writing for an American sitcom or movie or whatever, you're allowed to have goals, you're allowed to, or, or even just talking <laughs> with friends, you're allowed to have ambition. Uh, yeah. it's respected and in Britain that's really looked down on to, to admit openly that you have ambition oh no you yeah know. yeah that, yeah yeah totally yeah yeah and you know and, and the mad thing is you know we, we, we we're not that far away on the global kind of scale we're not that far away from America you know they're yeah. they're really individualist we're very individualist if you go to the, obviously to the Netherlands to Scandinavia it, it's what you know the, the, the social um 
prescription against pushing, you know, self-promotion and pushing yourself forward is much stronger than it is here. So, 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 so yeah, you know, the, the, I think the, the default is that, that that we don't really like people who seem like they're over, over they're overwhelmingly concerned with their own mm. position, even though that everybody is <laughs> overwhelmingly concerned yeah. with their own position. And when you speak to sort of Germans or, or Dutch people and stuff, they, they'll say that the, they find the Brits and Americans can be fake. Oh, well, it was particularly Brits, actually, because we were, you know, we're just playing a different game, I guess, is how you would put it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, we've got different rules, different symbols and different ways of being. And, and you know, that's, that's why you get culture shock when you go... To, to, into other cultures because you know we're socialized in an environment we're raised by children and teachers and you know surrounded by stories that tell us who to be tell us how to behave if we want to earn status and tell us what not to do if you want to drop in status and that works in our little local environment but as soon as you go to china or sweden or america it stops working and then and, and, and you know and, and the, you know the, the more different the culture the greater the culture shock because suddenly you, you just your behaviours, uh, your sub- even your subconscious behaviours, just aren't having the results that you're expecting them to have, and you just feel alienated and weirded out. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts, and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more.
Something that I, I thought about reading your book and that you mentioned as well is, is the conscience. And so is the conscience, I mean, you look back, you, you've mentioned the Nazis and the Soviets and horrible things that have been done in humanity in the name of righteousness. So is consciousness simply, or, or empathy, is that really just a tool we have to make sure we fit in with the societal uh, values of the time? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So, 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 you know, most of us, including me, I always thought of conscience as something that's there um, when you do bad things alone. Mm. But, 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 you know, when you look at that, when, you know, some you know, academics point out that actually our conscience also cheers us on, you know, like, yeah. you know, when we, when we have an achievement, we have, the, the, you know, the same, um, it's sometimes referred to as, as the imaginary audience inside our heads. So it's like this, this, this tribe of like-minded people that exist in our heads and cheers us and boos us. And it's kind of like a, um, you know, the, the brain is a prediction engine. That's how it works. It predicts how, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. And, and the conscience is kind of a, is a prediction, you know, if you behave in ways that are likely to see you drop in status in your tribe, in your groups, you're going to feel bad about it. You're going to start feeling anxious and you're going to want to correct your behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you if you behave in ways that are likely to, you know, raise yourself in status, you feel really good about yourself. You feel happy and excited. So it's yeah. So it's this imaginary audience. Um, it's this imaginary audience that we carry about on our heads. That in which we can kind of, you know, partly rehearse behaviour. You know, we, we can imagine what if I do this, and your conscience will give you some feedback. Then don't do that. Or yeah, that that'd be a good thing. Uh, you know, and, and likewise, if we have done something, the, the conscience is there giving us a little internal kicking, going, "Do not do that again. Don't do that because you're dropping." Right. Is that? Is that a bit sad? Um, does it mean there's no unselfish act? That's it. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yes and no. I, I, I would say that that's an unduly kind of n- negative take on it. You know, the, the way mm. I like to think about it is that actually it, it, it's absolutely amazing that our species has evolved, that when we do good things, selfless things, things for other people, sometimes at a cost to ourselves, that we'll be rewarded for that. We'll feel good about ourselves and we'll feel... And other people will also feel better about us. So, so, so that's actually a really good thing. And if that thing wasn't there, people wouldn't be altruistic. People wouldn't be, do pro-social things. Um, you know, maybe a, 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 it's, I think it's unlikely uh, that, that people would, would do good things for other people if that imaginary audience was mute in their heads yeah. and didn't go, oh, you know, you're, you're a good person for doing that. Uh, yeah. You know, so 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 so, so you know, I, I think I, I I can see why the the default thing was oh that's so cynical. You know, people he's saying we only do good things for mm. status, but but actually it's incredible that um, you know if you look at us compared to the other animals, we're pretty amazing. I know we, we like to think they're negative towards us, but we, we're pretty amazing in in how, how how motivated we are to you know uh, uh, for, for concern for other people. Uh, and and that's driven by the status game. That you know, again, it's the highs and the lows. Whenever you see that up and that down in response to people's behaviours and actions, that's the status game in action. And, and mm. you know, it's responsible for for, for horrors, um, but the status game is, is also responsible for everything good about us, for, for all the all the amazing pro-social, selfless acts that we do, um, and also. Um, you know the advancements of civilization, of science, technology, of the industrial revolution, of you know yeah. regulation for you know so so so, so yeah you know it's um it, it's kind of not good or bad the stage game it's just who we are and what we do. Yeah, I think we're malevolent robots, <laughs> <laughs> but you you put a good a positive spin on it, so I like I like that. <laughs> but I, yeah, I do I do just I just 
I just, I don't know. I've become like grouchy. And I think anyone who does anything, I'm like, yeah. I got annoyed at my girlfriend the other day because she said, um, you got her. She won't thank me for talking. She hates when I talk about her. But um, <laughs> putting, what was it? I was just chucking some clothes away. And she was like, you're not going to put that in a charity? And she was so quick to get annoyed about that. And I, I was like, all right, I will. But I was going to, if you just said it nice, now I feel like I have to. And I don't even yeah. get the kudos. Yeah, but that, that, that is a really good case in point. So at the end of the book, I talk about, you know, there's a chapter of advice on how to play the, the status game well. And that's a really good case in point. I, th- I think, you know, if, if we want to... So, so what happened there with your girlfriend is that she, she was kind of using mild dominance strategy there to get oh, you yeah. to do what she wanted to do. Like she was being pushy and she was threatening you. So, you know, it was, there, was that, there was that, you know, yeah. the, the, the subtext of that was if you don't put that to charity, you're a bad person. So, yeah. so now you're going to give it to charity, but you're doing it because she's, she's kind of pushed you into it. That takes <laughs> away your prestige. Yes. That takes away, that takes away your, um, the, the idea that you've chosen freely to do that. So, so that's why you, you, you resent, you're quite right to be resentful about that because she, because, because you're going to give those kids to charity, but she gets the, the status because she's the one that made you do it. And, and you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, so, 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 so it's actually a bad way of, you should tell your girlfriend it's a bad way of managing your behaviour. Yeah. I said to her, I don't mind doing it, but I don't appreciate the moralising language. And to be fair, she was very quick to say, fair enough, I, that's fair play. I, I, because you've, you've taken it, that's such a good point, I have to leave that in now, and she's going to be so pissed off. Maybe I can add, like, um, I can afterwards say, sister, like, and put it over when I said girlfriend yeah. each time. Yeah. And I need yeah. your voice yeah. saying sister. Can you just say sister? Sister. Yeah, there you go. No, I'm not going to do that. I'd be mad. Um, she'll be fine. It was too good of a point to leave out now. Um, she probably doesn't listen to it anyway. She doesn't. No, she, does. she does sometimes, oh God, but somebody else might and go like, oh, yeah, have you listened to this? There's a whole bit about you now. I'm in trouble. Yeah, um, I gave up expecting my wife to read my uh, books about three books ago. Well, the thing is, they listen to us all the time, don't they? And, totally. You know, she's hearing you. I bet you're going, oh, did you hear this? Because when you're doing your research, right? And she must be like, another thing. Yep. Right. Totally. She's sick of it. Yeah, she, she knows it all anyway. And also she's a magazine editor and it's a good trade-off because I don't want to read Elle magazine every month. So there I figure if I don't have to read Elle magazine every month, I won't I'll expect her to read my books and exactly. everyone's happy. Yeah. Let's, let's talk badly about your partner so it's even. What's the worst thing about... No, you don't have to do that. Um, tell me about social genomics. Social genomics. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, mm. So social genomics is, is the study of um, how our social worlds change uh, the function of our genes. So change of our genes. Does that mean that if somebody is very low status, then they can give birth to low status people no no it doesn't <laughs> no so, so so that 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 appears in my book um uh, uh, uh after we talk about how the status game can affect your kind of physical health so there was some amazing studies done by a guy called michael marmot who who went into the british um civil service to, uh, to 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 kind of examine the kind of incredibly stratified life there. So, so you know, like like any organisation, the British Civil Service is a status game. There's people on the top, there's people on the bottom, there's and there's lots of levels in between. Um, but it's you know, but but it's very it's highly stratified. Um, there's a huge amount of layers. So 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 it's a good um, it's a good kind of petri dish, a good case study. And so and what he found was something quite extraordinary, and that was that the higher you are in the status game. The, the better your health. So the longer you lived, the less likely you were to fall ill. And the obvious um, conclusion for that is, well, that's because if you're rich, you get you eat salad, and if you're poor, you eat cheeseburgers, or and you can afford 
you know, a better lifestyle. But it's actually not that, that that's not the case at all. That's not what's going on here. You know, everybody at the civil service, um, you know, are earning a kind of living wage. But 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 it's even like even one level down from the very top. So somebody doing really really well for themselves is still one level down in in physical health from the person one step above them. Um, so, so so it's it's just insane. And and so 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 so, so then you know, and then they also found this um, the same thing happened when they studied monkeys. So they gave all these monkeys um, a crap diet. You know, made them eat cheeseburgers and chocolate or whatever. I don't know if it was that. I think it's some sort of high calorie feed they give them. Right. Um, but I want to believe it's cheeseburgers. Yes. Yeah, and um, and um, so they were all eating the same diet. They all had the same kind of lifestyles, um, and 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 you know, predictably, just like humans, they found that in the hierarchy, the lower you went down the hierarchy, the worse the health outcomes. But then they 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 um, artificially remixed the hierarchy. They changed the hierarchy, and you know, with the changed hierarchy came changes in pe- in in monkeys' health outcomes. So right. so it really does seem to be true that that our position in the rank of our game affects our health. And so, 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 you know, why, why, why could this be? And, and the answer may very well come from social genomics. Um, the the, the, the um, person that I, Professor Steve Cole, who is a, is a is an expert in that field, told me that the the reason he thought why this happens is that um, you know we're obsessively interested in our rank because our rank is attached to our chances of survival and reproduction. So, you know, if we go down in rank or if we're not in the high rank, our, our brains will know about it and we'll adjust the way our bodies are working um, uh, for that eventuality. So if our, our, our minds decide that our social world is not ideal, there's something wrong with it, we'll, we'll go into this state of inflammation. And so inflammation is, is a kind of a, an emergency state for the body, it's preparing you for trouble. Um, it, 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 and when we evolved, that trouble would have been starvation or physical attack by, a, I don't know, a mammoth or a rival or whatever. And it's actually very, it's very bad for us to be in a state of inflammation for a long time. You, you know, it makes us more liable to get heart disorders, cancer. And so, so they think that that's what's going on, that the, 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 the higher our rank, the safer we feel. And the safer we feel, the, the, the more our genes um, move us towards this, you know, thrive state, you might think of it, wow. um, compared to this kind of inflamed kind of panicking state. So, 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 so that might not be the reason, but but that, that that's the best answer we have at the moment. Wow, that's ins- that's fascinating. And so, how do you think the the scientists changed the hierarchy artificially of these monkeys? I'd love to know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. Like, Maybe they just swapped their hats. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what can happen? We've discussed health. Um, in extreme examples, um, there were some examples of, and I'm thinking in a true crime sense, uh, what, what can happen when you really um, feel low status? Well, it's obviously, um, you know, uh, it's really bad for you. Um, you know, people feeling like low status, and especially um, when, you're, when you feel that your status has declined suddenly, or when you feel that you've been left behind by other people, people that you spent time with. Um, th- these are very dangerous um, periods for people psychologically. Um, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, it predicts depression, serious depression, even up to um, suicide. And you know, there's, a, there's a certain subset of people who, who can really be driven insane by uh, a lack of status. And, and I think the most, the, the most dangerous subset of humans are narcissistic men. And I think they're narcissistic men because if you're narcissistic, you have this sense of entitlement to status. You, 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 your default belief is, 
I am high status, I deserve to be treated like high status. Um, And if you're a man, you're much more likely to respond to status challenge with physical violence. And so so, so what you see a lot is is when narcissistic men um, suffer serious um, and sustained um, experiences of humiliation, which if you give humiliation as the ultimate kind of status withdrawal, that they often um, re- respond with violence. And, you know, there's a, there's a few examples I use in the book. The, the one I go into in most detail is, is this guy, Elliot Rogers. Yeah. And Elliot Rogers, very topical. There's, there's, there's another one in the papers today, a very similar situation. Um, in, in Plymouth, there was a spree killer. And, you know, there's a YouTube video doing the rounds where he's talking about, you know, his lack of status. All his friends are up here. I'm down here. You know, it's, it's right there. It's not even hidden. And, but Elliot Rogers, I thought, was a fascinating example because he left a 108,000-word autobiography. He uploaded it to the internet before he, his, his spree. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a kind of gruesome read, but, it's, but, it, but, but, but he is kind of devastatingly honest about his experiences. He's not trying to kind of impress anyone, really. You know, he, he's telling you... It's all there, both the, both the unbelievable narcissism and his entitlement to, um, be, you know, to, to, especially to women, um, but also his complete inability to, to, to get um, status from people. And, and, and you know, the, the, his descent uh, into, into madness um, is right, is all there. You know, you know I, I'm serious when I say it's like reading a Dostoevsky novel. It's unbelievably dark, uh, wow. you know, but, but, it's, but the guy could write, you know, it's really well written. Um, uh, and, and, and so, it's, and, and, but you really, uh, what, was, what was especially interesting to me about that book was that, or his story, um, was that where he got to, uh, you know, bear in mind he's still a teenager. The thing about the status game is that, is that, is that we're, we're obsessively interested in our rank. And when our rank is, be- begins to feel like being, it's being unfairly deprived or unfairly sort of taken from other people, we tell this unbelievably toxic story about who we decide are our enemies. Um, and, and that's where true human irrationality, you know, lies. And that's where we become most dangerous. And so I'll tell you the story that Elliot Rogers told as a result of him being perennially kind of rejected by young women. And it's horrific. So just to give you a warning. But basically he decided that sex should be abolished and that women should be basically destroyed. They should be wiped out. And the reason for that was that women were responsible for everything wrong in the world because they repeatedly chose as sexual partners jock types who are violent aggressive and stupid um so uh, it's, so they were procreating with violent aggressive stupid men um and so they needed to be wiped out um there would be a few women left to procreate um to keep the human um human species alive so so so, so there you go you, you cannot get more misogynist than that 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 is a kind of genocidally misogynist um story that he, he told of the world. And when I first read that, I thought, fuck, this guy is, in, is literally insane. If that's what he thought, he is literally insane. But then, of course, I started, you know, reading about the stories told by the Nazis during the 1930s in Germany. Mm. And it's almost exactly the same story, that, that the Jews were responsible for uh, everything that was wrong in the world. And the answer, the just thing to do was to wipe them out. So, 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 
then you start thinking, well, how mad was Elliot Rogers? Because what his brain was doing, the story that his brain conjured out of his declining status, is the same story conjured by all those Nazis during the 1930s as a result of Germany's declining status. So, 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 so that, that, that's when things start getting really spooky, because you think, fuck, you know, this, this is something really profound about people, about humans in general, and, and how they respond when they feel entitled to lots of status and they don't get it. It's an interesting one, that sort of incel, um, involuntary celibate uh, uh, mindset. And I know they won't thank me because some incels listen to this because I had an incel, um, a woman who has a podcast, Nama Cates, uh, who has a podcast about incels on the podcast. And so some of them listen now. So I'm not saying all incels uh, think this way, just so they know Mm. and don't get upset. But um, that that sort of, I, I guess a lot of us at sort of 14 or 15 years old, when you're going through puberty, we sort of flirt with that idea when you get rejected by girls and then all the girls seem to go with the older guys and stuff. There's a temptation to sort of feel that way. I, I definitely, I, I almost, not that I was going to go that way and become an incel or whatever. I don't want to be admitting some mad thing like that. But just like, <laughs> I definitely remember that feeling of like, God, they all go for the other guys. And it was this entitled thing like, well, who the hell, why, why should they go with, you know, they can go with whoever they want. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, you know, it, at risk of uh, uh, saying something really deeply controversial i mean you know one of the things that i always want to do with my books is to try and is to try and have empathy for even you know in the heretics i spent a a chapter trying to understand literal nazis and and in this case you know i would say about incels of course you'd never defend their beliefs but 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 they're only doing what, what all humans do we all we have a fundamental need for status um, if, if we feel rejected and, and, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, acceptance by women is it, it becomes of extreme importance for, for, for young men and feeling rejected by women, you know, is extremely painful and humiliating, especially, you know, for certain kinds of men. Um, and, you know, it, 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 as far as I can see, a universal is that, is that when we feel unfairly declined to status, we will tell a toxic story about the person, you know, and that could be about our careers, it can be about yeah. our political groups, you know, the stories that the left tell about the right and the right tell about the left in this country and around the world, indeed, are completely irrational and toxic. These are two groups with, with two you know, different stories about how the world works, who, who believe it sincerely, but they, but, but, but you know, off, it's very often that they hate each other, you know, uh, because they tell a story about each other's malevolence, which is completely unfair. And, and that's what happens with incels. You know, the, 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 these are young men who are rejected and rejected and rejected, and they're in pain. And, and un- unfortunately, their, their, their brains do what brains do. Um, and that's tell this toxic story. And that story is a misogynist story, just like the story told by, the, you know, the nationalists in Germany in the 30s was an anti-Semitic story. And just like, um, you know, the story told, we, you know, we tell racist stories, we t- you know, whatever, whatever. It, it never ends, you know. But, 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 but the core of, you know, the, I, I think the core of this kind of malignant, hard to extinguish, um, state of discrimination that humans fall into so easily is in this kind of con- has a, a, this deep concern with status underpinning it. You know, when we feel unfairly deprived of status, it's just automatic. This toxic story will, will begin to, and it's a self-serving story. It's not my fault. I deserve the status. It's their fault. You know, they're malevolent. I really think there's an extent to which we all do this. Um, and you know, when we look at people like anti-Semites and you know, uh, incels, I think it really should be with a sense of there, but for the grace of God go I, because you know, it's, I think that there's a lot of that inbuilt into human nature. Yeah, I love that phrase. 
Um, yeah, it might, also what you were saying as you were talking, I was just thinking of like uh, that Joker film and the King of Comedy and like the, all, all these movies of just these guys who uh, are rejected and rejected and they also happen to be narcissists. I mean, the King of Comedy was De Niro, total yeah. narcissist and he was yeah. uh, doing his stand-up act to an empty room and then it gets, yeah. gets violent, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's absolutely correct. I think, you know, the, you know, the narcissists, you know, they've got the greatest type to fall. They're the most dangerous people to pull status from. Because they absolutely think they deserve it and they're baffled, you know, when, when the world doesn't respond to them as if they are amazing, you know. Although I find that maybe I'm a narcissist. I want everyone to respond like I'm amazing. Um, <laughs> I don't really. Well, maybe I do. What did Elliot go on? Elliot, uh, what did he go on to do? Oh, he killed a bunch of people. Um, I forget. He, 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 went on a, he went on a... He killed his flatmates. And then he went out with a, with a, I guess it was an automatic weapon. I'm not quite sure what it was. And he, he yeah, he, he, he killed, um, um, I think, 11 people, um, mm. you know, um, more, more men than women, you know, as it turned out. But I think he was, um, he was just sort of, he was um, just firing wildly about. And, you know, I, I actually, I, I came upon his story when I was doing my research for Selfie. I, w I was staying um, in the University of Santa Barbara and doing my research on the self-esteem movement because all the archives for the self-esteem movement were there. And, and, and I came across this kind of mural saying Santa Barbara Strong. I was like, what's Santa Barbara Strong? And I Googled it and I, and I, and I sort of came upon mm -hmm. this, which, which has become kind of a, you know, a key part of the next, you know, the, the, the status game. Man, who, who was it that... Um had sex with their dead mum. <laughs> that was Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. It's Ed Kemper. Yeah, so Ed Kemper, uh, again, uh, he, 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 you know, an unbelievably narcissistic guy. IQ um, near or at genius level, depending on how you measure it. Um, uh, uh, and just, you know, brutally had status removed from him during his childhood. Uh, you know, his mother was, a, by all accounts, a terrible bully. Um, would would shut him in a in the cellar because she was she was obsessed with the idea that he was going to he was going to sexually abuse his sister, um, mm -hmm. and you know and in particular the the bully she worked at the local university and and she would she would sort of in particular one of the refrains would be that he was so horrific and awful that that that, that none of the pretty girls at the, the university would ever go anywhere near him, so you know he, he becomes the co-ed killer and wait well, he kills mum and then a bunch of these these, these um you know, poor young students. So, 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 so the pattern that you see again and again is, is, is that these men attack the games to which they feel that they've been excluded. You know, they, 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 you know it's not random who they go for. It's, it's, the, it's exactly the people who they, they feel have excluded them. And, you know, most obviously with the spree killers at school, you know, all the popular kids, they get it, you know. Um, the, 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 you know, it's, it's the school, it's the students, the, 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 who they feel rejected by, who, who get it. You know, I tell the story, the, the story of a spy, the most, the, the most dangerous, the most damaging spy in U.S. history, who also, um, you know, quite the narcissist, um, abused by his father uh, as a child and an adult, as it turned out, um, unpopular at the FBI. Um, uh, he, he wanted to be James Bond, but he just had his admin admin work. And so he, he went to the Soviets and went, I'll spy for you. And he was spying for them for something like 20 years. Uh, you know, so, so, so he, you know, he, he wanted his status and he won it by attacking the game from which he felt uh, rejected. That Ed Kemper thing, like I was saying, because I, I read at four in the morning 
and I was reading about and that's the same that spy fellow it's all in the same sort of chapter isn't it and yeah. that just sort of I couldn't sleep but then that's also when I wake, want to wake up my girlfriend and go have you heard about Ed Kemper and what he did to his mum <laughs> but horrible horrible Buenos dias world from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance I'm Marco Went and I'm Rick Schwartz and we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Went. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Influence, right? So influence is a big part of all this. Um, some people are influencers, as we talk mm. about influencers today, of course, as well. And you talk, you say that it's people who talk more generally tend to be influencers. But then I started thinking when when I read that of like Robert De Niro, he's sort of like this very calm uh, influencer. So I guess some people can also just have this like calm influence. Charisma. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so influence, you know, there, there are all these different ways that we measure status. Um, and, you know, you can measure it with money, you can measure it with physical appearance, you can measure it with anything, you know, you, the car you're driving, your your tastes, your beliefs, it can be status symbols. Um, uh, and uh, they're all kind of reliable, you know, they're reliable to a certain degree. But I think influence is one of the most reliable indicators of your status, because, you know, no matter how you're getting your status, the more influential you are, the more generally the more status that you know you have. So, so, so the more your capacity to have people copy you and mimic you, essentially, um, and, and and kind of uh, yeah, the, the more status you have, and that's because of how these groups that status games mm. sprung out of, um, how they operated. The status game is you know compels people. The, you know, the joy of status compels people to want to be. Uh, successful and want to be virtuous so, so what we do is we kind of we identify people who are already successful and high status in our group and we kind of lock onto them and we begin to copy them flatter them conform to their beliefs um, you know we we, we, we their tastes in in the arts it, how they talk I remember when I was um you know when I was like eight years old I was obsessed with Nick Kershaw and, and I and I once saw him on TVM um, crossing his legs in a certain way he had his you know he was all confident and he, and he, and he had his ankle just on his knee and I started doing that you know crossing my legs like Nick Kershaw and I thought that you know so it's this natural thing I didn't know why I was doing it just that Nick Kershaw did but but it's a yeah. gameplay strategy you know we want to rise up in status too so by, by by mimicking exactly how the people that are high status in our group behave and think and talk then we hope to become um, um, statusful as well. So, 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 so it's a very good measure of inf- uh, of um, of, uh, of status influence. And you know, and, and someone like Robert De Niro, it doesn't ha- necessarily have to be that he talks a lot. A lot that, that is a measure of his influence. It's the fact that when when he talks, people listen. So, so somebody high status might not talk very much, but they will have something. Like, they will have, for example, more successful interruptions in conversation. So we we've all had an experience of, of trying to 
say something during a conversation and then you just get ignored. It happened to me at the weekend. <laughs> and, and you just think, oh, fuck. You know, I'm, li- I'm definitely the loser in this situation. Um, but sometimes you're in a situation and you talk and everyone stops and listens and you go, oh, that feels great. And that, again, that's the, that's the status game. So it's, it's a successful interruptions. You know, it, it is true that generally speaking, high status people will talk more. Um, but, it's, but, but, but I think a better measure is successful interruptions. I see. I've always I wonder about about this as well with the whole status thing because there's definitely. Um, I feel like there has to be there has to be some power or merit in um, in being the guy who lets other people talk and who in being uh, maybe that's very modern or maybe I, I don't know. I, I always try and let people talk and I feel really bad if I've interrupted someone and I definitely would feel like you were saying on the weekend that that, that would happen to me. Um, I, and I just feel like well, that's because that other person lacked awareness and is an idiot. And obviously I'm creating my own narrative story. Uh, so can't it work that way as well? It, it's not modern of you. It's actually very, it's, it's very um, unmodern of you. And so, so, so what's, what, what's really interesting is that um, in the hunter-gatherer groups in which we evolved, um, there weren't these big man type leaders that were just throwing their weight around, ordering people around. They were much more about consensus. They were much more about, and so, so you know, people who passed as leaders in those those groups would tend to do exactly what you say: would let people talk, and and, and, a, and a kind of consensus um, would emerge. But but you've got to separate out what you're doing um, and what how other people are responding to you, because the thing about prestige is that is that it, it's about um, other people. Um, um, how they're responding to you. So, so, so when you're achieving successful interruptions, it, it, that's a sign that people respect you. They want to know what you've got to say. And if someone's talking over you, it's a sign that, that they think they're better than you and what they've got to say is more important. So, so you can't really control that. So, so, so it's great that you feel, I'm going to let these other people talk. Um, but, 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 and so that, that's a signal about your behavior, but it's not a signal about um, how other people see you. That doesn't tell us anything about the people you're talking with and, and how they rate you in terms of relative status. If, if, if they think you're above them, the moment you talk, they'll sit back and listen. I think I've created, yeah, like a status game in my head, which is, <laughs> is like that one, you know, which a lot of people have as well. I'm not the only, you know, I imagine you probably have a similar one where the person who is more diplomatic and like, yeah, why didn't you talk? The person who's more polite is, is in my mind, the, the best status because I that must be the only reason I pursue that, right? I would only pursue wanting to be that kind of character because that's the character I value. Does that make sense? What I'm, I think I'm yeah, confused the, yeah, and, and 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 that's a re- and, and 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 that's a result of your socialisation. So you, you've you've been raised in, in a family or in a context where that kind of behaviour is seen as higher status. Uh, you know, so, so so you know that, that, that I expect that your parents are very pleased that you that, that 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 you like to let people other people talk, and you know you've you've been trained you know in during childhood to feel good about that, and and yeah. so, so so that's that you know that's one way that you're kind of measuring status. You know, I had a flashback from when I was when I was a journalist, and one time I was I was interviewing the Pet Shop Boys on tour. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, um, and um, we, uh, we, we were going to do the interview and we walked into their dressing room and um, in the dressing room there was like a sofa and there was two like stools. And just without thinking, I, um, I just plumped myself, because I walked in first, I just plumped myself on the sofa and uh, Neil Tennant went, I think we should sit there, don't you? And Ooh. I had to kind of stand up and um, sat on the stool and I just felt absolutely mortified because oh. I just didn't, I just didn't. I didn't get it. I didn't get that the sofa was the yeah. So, so so yeah, it's so easy to get these things wrong. And when you do, I just felt. I, I, I well, I still remember it. I don't remember anything about that, <laughs> that trip. But I remember. Oh, I think we should sit there, don't you? <laughs> 
<laughs> but then if I was in that room and I saw you guys, I would think, right, I want to hang out with Will. I don't want to hang out with those guys who were that obsessed with their stupid sofa. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, that, then that's the other chapter I've got in the book, The Floor, where I talk about how um, exposure to, you know, radically elevated status can, can drive people insane because... You know, we're we're very good at um, uh, at deciding that actually we deserve all this status we're getting. You know, um, and and it kind of the thing about status is that it kind of goes up in degrees. So you know, if tomorrow um, um, you know Barack Obama and Bill Gates and Michelle Obama. Um, all said once that Andrew, your podcast was the best podcast ever, and you suddenly were this world celebrity. Um, mm. You know, you, you would feel have imposter syndrome, right? Expect, and you go, "Oh my God, this is too much." But that's not how the world works. You know, we 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 tend to go up in degrees, and you know, and every time we we go up a little step, we'll think, "Yeah, I deserve this. I deserve this. I've got a number one record. Oh, I've got two number one records." And then and and then you so so we we very easily acclimatise to our sense of status, and you know, we've evolved to play small games in, in amongst small groups of people. But people like the Pet Shop Boys and whoever else, you know, I wrote about Paul McCartney in the book play these massive global games in which their status is unbelievably huge. I see their pictures on posters. People literally, like crowds of thousands scream at their very presence. And, you know, and, and you acclimatise to it because that's what you do. And, and, and that's when you end up, um, you know, behaving in, 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 in ways that us ordinaries probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't behave. We'd be like, where do you want to sit? I don't mind, you know. Even the most modest of of the of the rock stars and stuff must secretly be thinking like yeah I'm worth this because it's just they got it so much they've been told that so much yeah and I think and I think especially dangerous is that you know is that when we're, when we're young when we're our teens and twenties um, is is what I couldn't find any data on how our need for status you know changes over time but but I I strongly suspect that it's at its strongest in our teens and 20s and, and, and it starts declining slowly in 30s and then when you get to 60s and 70s I think they're happier because they don't really give a shit anymore <laughs> they're not that bothered anymore I don't know that but I couldn't find any um, data um, to, to to back that up that's just my my, my guess so, uh, so I, I do think that if you, if, if you suddenly get kind of global status in your when you're in your teens and 20s I, th- I, I do think that can be kind of catastrophic for the self because it's because we're not designed we're not designed for this you know you know it, it, it's a product of the status game you know we've evolved to celebrate people that who are who we see as high status but we have but but you know not in in small groups not in, in these massive internet you know in these usual and i think it, it can fuck with people it, it, it can fuck with people's heads in quite a in quite in quite a dangerous way, and and I think you know in the story in the book I tell, this, I tell about Paul McCartney, who, you know, he, he, he's somebody that, that has a reputation as you know, Petrol Boys, have, you know, they 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 haven't got a bad reputation. They don't probably deserve me telling that story, but but you know, <laughs> similarly, Paul McCartney, you know, you can't imagine somebody that's had more status than him. He, he's like a god, you know, women, talent, money. He was in the Beatles, you know. Um, but, but even he, you know, he, he became preoccupied for a while about how the fact that on all the labels, on all the records, it says Lennon McCartney. And, 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 not, and, and so he's like, why should Lennon come first? And so he started flipping it all around. And when he, he would do, he would make live albums and just play Beatles songs and, and credit them to McCartney Lennon. And then he got into trouble with Yoko Ono and there was all this kerfuffle about it. And you just think, fuck, you know, if even Paul McCartney gets preoccupied and irritated by the order of the names, that shows you how, 
you just can't break free of this. You know, it, it, is, it is who we are as a species. It's how we play the game of life. And social media has exacerbated it. We'll come to an end soon, so I don't want to keep you too long. But, but um, yeah, social media, you were saying that we have all of the those sort of the triad we mentioned uh, before of dominance, um, let's see, dominance in censoring and cancelling and mm. success in terms of sort of selfies and showing off your nice life yeah. and all that stuff. And, of course, the virtue signaling. Of the the yeah. most obvious virtue signaling to me is political, but you mentioned, of course, wellness gurus and that kind yeah. of thing. Like, this is yeah. how you can be yeah. great. So yeah. that was that was fascinating to me. What Do, do you get frustrated by, by any of those particular ones? Is there a particular kind of those the triad on social media that winds you up? I'm not at all a, fa- a fan of, of um, the dominance, um, you know, that, that happens on social media that's, that's dressed up as, as, as virtue. One of the things that I think is really, you know, in Selfie, I wrote about the fact that, you know, we, we, we tend to blame Silicon Valley for selfie culture because what becomes apparent when you actually look at what happened is that, um, you know, they put cameras on phones because they thought we we're going to use them during business meetings. And then we just start taking pictures of ourselves. You know, so you can't really blame tech for selfie culture. And it's the same with, 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 with cancel culture and all that stuff. You know, we, we, people, and for social media's addictive qualities, we, 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 it's convenient to blame Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey for, for, for doing those things. Sure. And yeah, the, the, their models encourage it, sure. But, 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 but this is just what happens when you connect people together. They play status games and they use any strategy available to earn status and and you know dominance virtue and success are all over social media and in the book you know as you, as you know I, I i i tell the story of the very first social media site you know which is called the well and this is in 1985 and it was all there cancelling they were even arguing wow. about pronouns you know it's you know and that's without any you know that's without zuckerberg or dorsey that's when literally they were they, they were they had that war games thing of having to put the phone in a special machine to go on the internet, you know, right. and, and it was all happening then, you know, cancel, they were, they canceled people and um, were having flame, they called them flame wars at the time, you know, so, 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 so yeah, it's human nature, it's human nature. And, and, and yeah, and, and I think one of the sort of big sort of takeaways from the book for me was this, um, this, this, this new way of, 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 of thinking about what happens when human groups go wrong. Because the, the convenient story that we like to tell is it's our enemies that are wrong. So it's left-wing people or right-wing people. It's fascists or it's, you know, um, the SJWs or whatever you want to call them. Um, but, but, but actually, you know, clearly it's everyone. It's not, you know, wrongness is a, is a cross kind of, is a political um, uh, situation. And, and, and so what happens, so, 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 so some psychologists talk about this, this state of tightness that happens in human groups and cultures. So when, it, when a group or a, or a status game, as I put it, becomes tight, it becomes maximally conformist. And it, and it starts using dominant strategies in order to kind of compete. And um, it, they tend to, so tight groups tend to be, be much more um, uh, irrational and much more kind of wed to their sacred stories. And I think you can see that state of tightness um, happening all, across social media, you know, where, where you know, the, the, it's maximally conformist. And, uh, you know, some of the beliefs that people have feel kind of madly irrational and yet they, they, they believe them sincerely. So, so, so yeah, tightness is the way I think about this now. It's, you know, what, what, what worries me is just that, whether it's left or whether it's right, it's that state of tightness. If it's a tight group, it's a dangerous group. 
Yeah, I think about even because I'm a football fan. I like I'm a Tottenham fan, and sometimes sort of Sky Sports will put something like, "Who's really the better player, Harry Kane or Thierry Henry for Arsenal?" <laughs> and like, you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out it will be exactly the Arsenal fans who all think. And if you asked them, they would all really think Thierry Henry was the better player. The Tottenham fans really would think that Harry Kane is the better player. And when I look at that, I just think, well, what chance do we have with like politics and stuff if we can't even do football? You know. Well, that's exactly right. And you've engaged in similar journalism to me. So, so you probably had this, you know, as well. But yeah. even from my first book, um, uh, which was about ghosts and the journalism I did before that, it always struck me that, 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 that there's, there's this idea that people who have irrational beliefs are faking it somehow. They're just pretending to believe yeah. what they believe. And, and they don't. You know, they, they really believe it. And, and when I was doing the ghost book back when I was in my 20s, mm. it was very obvious to me who were the fakers. That there were some people who were obviously faking their belief in ghosts because they, they wanted to make money as a medium or whatever. But most people weren't faking it. They, they really believed it. And, and, but if you don't believe in ghosts, your default is, oh, they're just, they're just pretending, they're just idiots, you know, or they're just pretending. Um, and it's the same, you know, like you say, with the football example. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that really speaks to the irrationality that that, 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 that happens with people. And, 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 you know, what I've noticed doing this book is, it, 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 is it's always, it's almost always around status disputes. This, you know, when you, when you look at humans that they're most irrational, there's status at the heart of it. You know, there, there's some kind of competition and they're telling a story that, that you know, look at religion, for God's sake. You know, religion is a status game and, and the stories that people tell about, their religion about heaven and hell and you must do this you must eat fish on a friday you must wear this headdress fucking mad stuff but but they sincerely (laughs) believe it you know they they really believe it because that because that's what you know that that's who we are as a species we're designed to play these imaginary symbolic games of status and and if we plug into a game we're we're prepared to believe almost anything that that the high status people in that group tell us to believe i had a bit of a game changer because my mum's best friend started doing sort of um uh, what is it like medium medium stuff so she has like quite high profile people coming over and she's like telling them what their you know deceased whoever has said to them and i just i've never been more sure of anything than that she believes that because she has no motivation to make it up she's well off and you know in her 50s or whatever she believes it and that was like Mm. that was really enlightening for me that was like wow okay yeah and then I did this documentary about an exorcist and like even now people people message and they send emails and they're going like, God, that guy, what a faker. And I'm always really hesitant to call him a faker. I think yeah. he was he was a sneaky guy who was taking advantage of people and their money and stuff, but it's all wrapped up. And I wonder if he even knows if he entirely believes, he's sort of half, he, I don't even know. I don't know. Mad. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, yeah, the final, the final chapter of my ghost book was, was, was I witnessed an exorcism and, and that was, yeah, mm. and... and Everybody involved in that sincerely believed it. The demonologist believed it. The the, the 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 young, very Christian couple in the you know in the you know in in in, in those wild parts of of the southern states of America sincerely believed it. And this poor bloody kid was autistic, you know. And and it was oh. it was kind of it was it was you know it was it, for me it was child I witnessed child abuse that day. But for them they witnessed the devil, you know. So it's yeah, it's powerful stuff. Yeah.
wow, I loved that. And if you enjoyed listening to Will as much as I did, you'll love the record-length half-hour bonus podcast with him. Uh, it's a must-listen for fans of Will's store or just people who like this podcast. You can find that on patreon.com slash Gold, Apple subscriptions, and YouTube memberships. I really had an absolute blast and could have spoken with Will all day. The concept of status and why we do what we do is fascinating to me and a real insight into who we are as humans. If you're new to the podcast, please remember to subscribe and share it with friends. That's the way these things grow. And leave a review on CastBox or Apple. Uh, Last week, listener Suzanne Salam got in touch to say, I recently discovered your podcast and it's my new go-to. I love the subject topics and the fascinating people you interview. I find it disturbing and harrowing at times when I find I have to turn it off, but I'm always compelled to get to the end and face the harsh realities, particularly in the instance of the Silas podcast. Really excellent journalism. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And uh, for those unacquainted with the ins and outs of this podcast, Suzanne is referring to Silas, the class president, or or, uh, what do we call it, the head boy of his school, who um, admitted on my podcast that he's attracted to children. That's episode six. Uh, Some people don't want to listen to that. Others, Others find it one of the most compelling episodes I've done. That's all for now. I'm in the middle of a move. Uh, you might notice my voice right now sounds a little different to usual. I'm, I'm recording this from my brother Michael's bedroom because uh, I'm back with the family for a couple of weeks from Berlin and I'm moving to Bristol very soon with my girlfriend. It's all happening. So it's just a case of recording sort of on the road and finding places to do things. And I think my brother's room's a little bit better than where I was before because there's lots of different there's sort of clothes and um, sort of curtains and things that should be better for the sound so maybe i sound quite good i don't know i haven't listened back yet anyway i will see you next week when my guest will be former crime boss sean atwood okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.